0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning. Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. What is up y'all? It's home day. Not gonna lie. I'm excited for the short week and some downtime. No holidays, no celebrations, no side, nothing. Just vegging out on my couch, playing mindless video games, or watching Blue. So, I was looking for a specific Palmetto State Armory deal to offer you guys for the morning show, but as of writing, all of the New Year's deals are still live. And I know those will likely end up gone by the time the episode publishes. So, I'm going to just give you a general daily deals link in the show description, and once those update, you'll have those available. It'll be a good link all day um and then like whenever you guys go check me on Twitter, I will have a deal of thread for you so uh now, I told you I was not going to quit talking about this whole invasion at the border thing because I feel like that's what they, whomever they is, want to happen. They want us to get used to it. So I feel it prudent to do the total and complete opposite of what they want. Uh, The Biden administration yesterday asked the Supreme Court to allow federal border patrol agents to cut through or move razor wire that Texas installed on the U.S.-Mexico border As part of a contentious effort by the state to prevent illegal border crossings. Yes, You heard me correctly. A contentious effort to protect the sovereignty of our country. How dare they? Solicitor General Elizabeth Preligar, if I ever saw this woman in person, I think she might be someone I might actually like spit in her face. She said in a court filing that border patrol agents have authority under federal law to access private land at the border and that Texas has no basis to thwart them from carrying out their duties. The Biden administration says the wire prevents agents from reaching migrants who have already crossed over the border into the U.S. Um, sir, this is a Wendy's. You can turn around and go back. The case arose when the administration of Texas Governor Greg Abbott installed the razor wire near the Rio Grande River at Eagle Pass, Texas, as part of an operation to address illegal immigration that has brought the state into conflict with the Biden administration. When Border Patrol agents cut through some of the razor wire, Texas sued, claiming that the agents had trespassed. And damaged state property. A federal judge declined to impose an injunction against the federal government, but the New Orleans-based Fifth based U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals last month ruled in favor of Texas, saying agents could not cut or move the wire unless there was a medical emergency. Like let other law enforcement officers, border patrol agents operating under difficult circumstances at the border must make context dependent sometimes split second decisions about how to enforce federal immigration laws while maintaining public safety Praylegar wrote but the injunction prohibits agents from passing through or moving physical obstacles erected by the state that prevent access to the very border they are charged with patrolling and the individuals they are charged with apprehending and inspecting, she added. Ma'am, is this thing on? Can you hear me? If the people can't get in, they don't have anyone to apprehend or inspect. Abbott's immigration enforcement plan called Operation Lone Star also involves busing thousands of migrants to Democratic-led cities and arresting migrants on trespassing charges. The state previously placed buoys in the Rio Grande in an effort to prevent crossings, prompting the Biden administration to sue them. Lower courts ordered that the buoys be removed. It would be fascinating to see if this administration worked as hard to protect the interest of Americans as he does to protect the interest of illegal aliens seeking to enter this country. What we might accomplish as a nation, as if all of this appalling behavior isn't enough, California is now the first state to offer health insurance to all illegal migrants. As of January first, taxpayers will now be forced to fork out thousands for medical care for an additional seven hundred thousand undocumented immigrants between twenty six And 49 eligible for full coverage under medi-cal california's medicaid program it comes as more than a staggering 1.5 million are pouring across the southern border every year many of them seeking shelter in california's democrat-run sanctuary cities previously undocumented immigrants were not qualified to receive health insurance under medi-cal unless there was an emergency or pregnancy-related issue. Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and lawmakers agreed in 2022 to provide healthcare access to all low-income adults regardless of their immigration status through the state's Medicaid program. This expansion will eventually cost the state about $3.1 billion a year. Normally, I'm not an advocate of fleeing a state. I encourage people to work small and local to make change and work your way up. California is making that damn near impossible with their breakneck speed approach to making California a reality instead of a joke from each according to his ability to each according to his need. The move has been criticized by the California Senate Republican Caucus, I can't imagine why, who stated that the state's Medicaid program is already strained by serving 14.6 million Californians, more than a third of the state's population. Adding 764,000 more individuals to the system will certainly exacerbate current provider access problems. But Newsom's office said, in part, that in California, we believe everyone deserves access to quality, affordable health care coverage, regardless of income or immigration status. Then why not offer free health care to everyone? Practice that equality or equity bullshit that you preach. The state senator's office explained that Californians are eligible for Medicare medi coverage based on their income. This year's income cap for a family of four is $36,156. dollars MediCal is also available to people with certain medical conditions and those who are pregnant, blind, disabled, under the age of 21, living in a nursing home, or are a recently settled refugee. Sarah Darr, who is the Director of Health and Public Benefits Policy at the California Immigration Policy Center, said the budget investment reflects California's values of inclusion and fairness and should be a model for the rest of the nation. That isn't inclusion and fairness, that's robbery. Its latest data from two thousand and twenty one placed the undocumented population at 10.5 million. And of that number, 1.85 million, about 5% of its total population, was in California. In 2023, more than 500,000 people crossed the border illegally into California, according to Customs and Border Protection data and preliminary gotaway data exclusively obtained. This is insane. It is absolute madness. And I, you know, I, I feel bad for the people of California, but I'm not going to feel bad for them for very long because you have the ability to change this. You have the ability to, to prevent this. And if you aren't actively working to make that happen, then I, I kind of feel like you not that you deserve it, but man, you kind of deserve it. <laughs> Either leave or fix it. This is crazy. Equally mad, a Chinese foreign exchange student in Utah was found alone, very cold and scared, in a tent in the mountains in frigid temperatures. After his parents went abroad, were extorted and threatened with his safety in a, quote, cyber kidnapping, officials say. So we're like catfishing, but now we're kidnapping people through the internet. No joke. The parents of Kai Zhang, who is 17 years old, was sent a photograph that allegedly showed him abducted, and received continuous threats from kidnappers. They sent $80,000 to bank accounts in China as a ransom. The Riverdale Police Department in Utah said in a news release that the parents notified Kai's high school which then contacted Riverdale police on December 28th. Police spoke with Kai's host family in Riverdale, and they were unaware that he was missing. They said he was home the night prior and had heard him in the early morning hours of December 28th, and there was no evidence suggesting he was forcibly taken from the home. Police, working with the FBI, the U.S. Embassy in China, and Chinese officials learned of the criminal trend called cyber kidnapping. When foreign exchange students, in particular those from China, are threatened and a ransom is demanded, Riverdale police said. The victims are ordered to isolate themselves and are monitored via FaceTime or Skype, forced to take photos of themselves that make it appear that they are being held captive. And the photos are then sent to their frightened parents. Though the kidnapping is conducted apparently remotely, victims often comply out of fear that their families will be harmed, and parents are extorted for fear that the kidnappers are actually with the victim and could harm them. Police looked into Kai's whereabouts over the last month and found that he had been contacted by police in Provo, Utah on December 20th. He was found to go trying to go camping, carrying camping gear. Provo police were quote concerned for his safety and returned him to Riverdale. Riverdale police said they believed Kai was already being manipulated and controlled by cyber kidnappers on December twentieth, but he never disclosed it to the police or his host parents after Kai went missing. Police weren't able to find the camping equipment he had purchased and had and had with him in provo. An analysis of bank records and phone pings showed he had visited the Brigham City Canyon area in quotes we believed the victim was isolating himself at the direction of cyber kidnappers in a tent due to the cold weather in Utah at this time of year. We became additionally concerned for the victim's safety in that he may freeze to death overnight, the news release said. An overnight search was conducted with the help of Weber County Sheriff's Office and a rescue drone team searching for Kai's campsite that continued into the next day. Kai was found on Sunday in a wooded area by Riverdale Police who hiked on foot up the mountainside near Brigham City. A sergeant contacted the victim inside the tent and found that he was alive, but very cold and scared. The victim was relieved to see the police. He had no heat inside the tent, a heated blanket, a sleeping bag, limited food and water, and several phones that were presumed to be used to carry out the cyber kidnapping. Kai was checked out by the Brigham City Fire Department and cleared of any major medical concerns. The victim only wanted to speak to his family to ensure they were safe and requested a warm cheeseburger, both of which were accomplished on the way back to Riverdale. The investigation is ongoing. As a mom, I'm telling you right now, I'd give anyone that called me anything I had to give them if my child was all the way across the world, and I thought that their life depended on it. But there are a lot of red flags and questions that I have. First, how did these people know that this particular child was an exchange student? How did they make contact with him? Next, how did the host family not know that he was missing? He's a foreign 17-year-old. Where did you think he was all day over Christmas break? How did these people know who his parents were and how to contact them in China? This screams inside job. What is the organization that facilitates the exchange program? What is the commonality with the other students that this has happened to? Do they have the same caseworker, the same organization? He was contacted by the police in Provo on December 20th, and he was returned to Riverdale, who was he returned to? He's a minor foreign exchange student. Did you just bring him across county lines and drop him off? Sometimes I get this itch that I can't scratch when I read articles like this. Uh, Althea Bernstein, out of Wisconsin, is another one of those types of articles. I will be following this case like a hawk and reaching out to both police departments tomorrow, looking for answers to all of these questions. And I will keep you guys. Up. You know what else I don't understand and have a thousand unanswered questions about? Bob Menendez and how he is still a sitting US senator. He is facing additional bribery accusations according to a superseding indictment unsealed Tuesday. I'm all for due process and innocent until proven guilty. But George Santos has not been convicted of a crime but was swiftly expelled from Congress. Menendez is now accused of accepting bribes and gifts in exchange for helping to benefit Qatar as part of a years-long corruption scheme from 2021 through 2023, one year longer than was originally thought. His attorney, Adam Fee, said the new allegations "Uh, stink of desperation. Despite what they've touted in press releases, the government does not have the proof to back up any of the old or new allegations against Senator Menendez, Fee said. What they have instead is a string of baseless assumptions and bizarre conjectures based on routine, lawful contacts between a senator and his constituents or foreign officials. They are turning this into a persecution, not a prosecution. He added, that the senator acted appropriately with respect to Qatar, Egypt, and other countries he interacts with. Menendez is already facing federal charges for allegedly acting as a foreign agent and accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes to benefit the Egyptian government through his power and influence as a senator. Menendez, along with his wife Nadine and three other New Jersey businessmen, YL. Hannah Jose Uribe, Fred Dibes, Davies, Dibes, were first charged in the federal bribery scheme on September 23rd. All have pleaded not guilty. Among the new allegations is that Menendez and his wife enriched themselves with cash, gold bars, luxury cars, the couple received the gifts in exchange for Menendez using his influence to induce the Qatari investment company to invest with Dabies. Menendez made several public statements supporting the Qatari government and then provided them to Dabies or Dabies, however you say this dude's name, so he could share them with the Qatari investor and a Qatari government official. The investor negotiated a million-dollar investment real estate project with Diby's. FBI and IRS criminal investigators allege that Menendez and his wife accepted several gold bars and other gifts from Diby's, a New Jersey developer and former bank chairman accused of banking crimes. Menendez allegedly worked to help appoint a prosecutor who would be sympathetic to Diby's according to the indictment. The original indictment alleges that from at least 2018 through 2022, Menendez and his wife, Nadine, engaged in a corrupt relationship with Dives, Hannah, and Uribe. Following his arrest in September, Menendez gave up his position as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, but has resisted calls for him to resign. Let's say for a moment, that all of this was above board, and on the up and up, and he's innocent of breaking any laws. What does it say about a sitting senator who is supposed to serve the citizens of the United States enriching himself by working for and with a foreign country? Perhaps he didn't commit a crime, but he's a piece of shit and doesn't deserve a seat at any table in this country certainly not one that has the power and influence of a senatorial seat in Congress. I'm going to make today's show a bit shorter than I have in the last couple days because I've been talking way too much, but we're going to end on a high note. Drinking the tears of Claudine Gay as she announces her resignation as the president of Harvard. Quote, it is with a heavy heart, but a deep love for Harvard, that I write to, I wonder who she stole this speech from, that I write to share that I will be stepping down as president, she said in a lengthy letter to the school community. This is not a decision that I came to easily. Indeed, it has been difficult beyond words. Maybe she couldn't find them to seal, so she actually had to write them herself. Because I have looked forward to working with so many of you to advance the commitment to academic excellence that has propelled this great university across centuries. But after consultation with members of the corporation, it has become clear that it is in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than the individual. It has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and upholding scholarly rigor, to bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am, and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus, she wrote in her resignation letter. Upholding scholarly rigor as a bedrock value that's fundamental to who you are? Who the fuck wrote this letter for you? You lied and cheated and stole from someone else to enrich yourself. You might as well be a politician at this rate. The kicker? The absolute slap in the face to every person who ever worked their ass off to graduate from that school? or publish an article and study, Gay will stay on as a faculty member at Harvard, Corporation said. In a statement Tuesday, they wrote, quote, first and foremost, we thank President Gay for her deep and unwavering commitment to Harvard and to the pursuit of academic excellence. She has devoted her career to an institution whose ideals and priorities she has worked tirelessly to advance. And we are grateful for the extraordinary contributions she has made and will continue to make as a leader, a teacher, a scholar, a mentor, and an inspiration to many. Harvard should open a new class for credit. It's called How to Gaslight. The resignation comes amid allegations of plagiarism over gay's academic writings and following backlash over her response at a congressional hearing to questions about anti-Semitism on u s college campuses, which sparked calls for her to step down as president then as well. She testified before Congress in early December along the University of Pennsylvania's then President Liz McGill and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology president, Sally Kornbluth. Bluth? Cornbluth. Why do these people have these names? About how they are handling anti-Semitism on their respective campuses in the wake of the Hamas attacks in Israel. A tense exchange between Gay and Elise Stefanik became a focal point for criticism. Stefanik asked Gay the hypothetical question, quote, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying and harassment? Gay responded. The rules around it's a very simple question. It's either yes or no. She responded, the rules around bullying and harassment are quite specific. And if the context in which that language is used amounts to bullying and harassment, then we take we take action against it. Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania are among the schools being investigated by the Department of Education for complaints of anti-Semitism and Islamophobic discrimination. McGill resigned from the University of Pennsylvania in early December. Gay elaborated on her stance in a statement following the backlash. There are some who have confused a right to free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students. She continued, calls for violence or genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile and they have no place at Harvard. In a December 12th statement, the Harvard Corporation announced that Gay requested an independent review of her published work in light of the plagiarism accusations The results revealed few instances of inadequate citation, but no real violation of Harvard's standards of research misconduct. Statement read: The corporation announced that Gay would be requesting four corrections in two articles to insert citations and quotation marks that were not present in the original text. However. The corporation initially affirmed its support for Gay amid the allegations. Our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. Gay was the first person of color and the second woman to serve as president at Harvard University in its 386 year history. She became president in July of 2023, serving the shortest tenure for president in the school's history. There is a lesson there. That is your Wednesday edition of everything yesterday this morning. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Just a heads up, we are beginning, uh, In tonight's book club, we're beginning to read the anti-federalist papers as well as the the constitutional convention debates, and that starts at 10.15 Eastern time on Twitter Spaces Live. I committed to doing five episodes a week, but I think with book club not starting until 10 p.m., That makes it really hard for me to follow through with that commitment. So I'm going to revise that just a little bit. We're going to stick with four episodes a week. Wednesday nights, uh, I will be hosting book club on Twitter spaces. So you are welcome to join us there as we work our way through the constitutional convention and the writings of the anti-federalists who did not want to see a large centralized government. That is concludes today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in and I will be back on Friday morning. You guys take care and have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.